Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. You guys can take your seats. I'm curious how many in the room enjoy or don't enjoy really intense roller coasters. So where are my roller coaster people at? All right, and where are my non-roller coaster people at? All right, all right. How many of you are like me and you loved them as a kid, but as you get older, it's a little more challenging? Anybody? I think we're being honest in the room today. So life can sometimes feel like a roller coaster. There's a lot of ups, there's a lot of downs. Sometimes you're going super fast, Sometimes you're going super slow. Sometimes you end up upside down in a loop. Sometimes there are twists and turns you don't expect. I I kind of think of it like when you're going up that first big hill, you know when you hear the click, 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 click. You're laying back, you're looking up into the sky and you feel butterflies in your stomach. That's kind of like that moment when there's something happening in your life. You're looking for a new job or you just got it or you're about to get married or you have a kid on the way or you're facing a big deadline. There's some kind of risk you're taking. Whatever is happening in your life and you're just kind of click, 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 you feel the butterflies, then you go over the top and it's just crazy. It's not everything you expected. It's beautiful. It's challenging. You're upside down. You're twisting and turning. And then by the end of it, you're either laughing or crying. You know, it could go either way. And, and, and that's just how life is. And I want to show you a few photos that might help illustrate how some of us in the room here feel. You could be like this woman who I think is feeling like she can overcome any mountain. She is rejoicing on the mountaintop. I celebrate and praise God if that's you today. Maybe you're like this guy who has kind of a silly, happy face on and you just are filled with joy and laughter. Or maybe you're like this woman who's celebrating so much that she's throwing confetti like what we did on Easter Sunday. I I hope that that's you today. You could also be like this guy who's been on the road and is now exhausted and is just laying on his back, pausing. You could maybe even be like this guy who looks frustrated and exhausted. Maybe even he's hurting because we do get hurt in life. And perhaps you're like this guy who has his journal over his face and the only thing you can write down is a big question mark because you're just not sure what's next or you're not sure why what's happening is happening. And I think this kid's face sums it up well. We're just, we don't know what's going on and and that's sometimes how we feel. But here's the thing. I think it's important regardless of what stage of life we're in or how we feel, what is our source of life in every different season? And the really amazing news today, and I hope you will lock in for this because it's so life-changing, is that there is one thing that we all must do regardless of where we are in the journey. And Jesus gives us very clearly this one thing in John chapter 15. The title today is the true vine. And the disciples of Jesus, before he gives them this teaching, are filled with uncertainty, fear, and confusion. They don't know what's going on because he's about to leave. People are trying to kill him. They're wondering if their time with him is over. We know the end of the story, so we don't always fully put ourselves in how intense of a moment this was for the disciples. But when he gives them this teaching, this command, they're not sure what's gonna happen. And we're gonna read the whole text, 17 verses, and then we'll walk through it. So beginning in verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. What an invitation, what a command from the King of kings and Lord of lords. And look how he starts off in verse one. He says, I am the true vine, which shows us that there are false vines. And your first principle today in your notes is there is one true vine that gives life and there are many false vines that steal life. And Jesus is so clear, he is the one true vine. But we know through scripture and through experience that we have an enemy of our souls that likes to present us with false vines. And his intent is clear. Look at John 10, 10. The thief, that's Satan, the enemy of our souls, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So I think there are these three temptations articulated in scripture that try to set themselves up as false vines in our life. And we're gonna take a minute looking at these three false vines and then come back to the text about the true vine. In 1 John 2, it articulates these false vines, these three temptations that are as old as time itself. Look what it says. Do not love the world for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, one, the lust of the eyes, two, and the pride of life, three, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, it's important to clarify what we're talking about when we say the world in this scripture. And I think David Guzik, he, he articulates it well. The world in this sense, in the sense John means it here, is not the global earth, nor is it the mass of humanity which God himself loves. Instead, it is the community of sinful humanity that is united in rebellion against God. There is a way to the world that is opposed to the way of God. And that's what it's talking about when it says that these are the three primary temptations of the way of the world. And I'm gonna give them to you now. And Rick Warren kind of really taught me a lot about this back when I lived in Southern California. He would gather pastors and, and teach this to try to build into young leaders. And I wanna give him credit for this articulation here. But number two in your notes, these 
three great temptations, or parenthetically, false vines to flee from. A, lust of the flesh, which flesh, which is the temptation to feel. That's when we look to feeling or pleasure as the source of our life, the source of our joy, the source of our peace. And let me clarify, there's of course nothing wrong with good feeling or pleasure. God created us to experience all kinds of good feelings and all kinds of wonderful pleasure. The problem is if we start looking to that feeling as our source of life, or if we start looking to gain that feeling through ways that are sinful and will destroy us. Scripture is clear that sin is pleasing for a season, but then it kills you, right? So you can actually get the feeling of pleasure through sin for a little while before the empty promise is exposed and it destroys you. So that's the first false vine. B, the lust of the eyes, which is the temptation to have. This is when we look to having, when we look to possessions, when we look to salary to become the source of life. Again, nothing wrong with having. All of us here in this room have a lot. We have much more than most of the world has, but it can so easily become a false vine that we are running to, things like the pursuit of just more money, just another vehicle, just a better home and garden. That will surely do it. Well, we eventually realize, no, it doesn't do it. More empty promises. It's another false vine. And then see the pride of life, the temptation to be. This is when we look to our position or our status or our sense of being to become our source of life. We start doing this as little kids. You know, we position ourselves against the other kids in the class or in the playground. We try to figure out what we can do. Who are we? What kind of style are we? And, and if we're not careful, we bring it right into adulthood and through our entire life, and we can be looking to that false vine for a long time. And how many of you guys know we come up short, do we not? It's never enough. It never fulfills what we think it's gonna fulfill. So these are three false vines to flee to flee from that promise you a lot, but actually want to steal from you. That's the intent of the enemy, to get you to lean on these as your God, if you will, as that which you would pursue more than anything else and worship. If I just was this, I would be so happy. If I just had this, I would have so much joy. If I could just feel this, everything would be different, but none of those are true. So it's learning to expose that. Rick Warren says there's an antidote to each one specifically, and this is what he would try to teach all these young pastors. The antidote to the lust of the flesh is integrity. The antidote to the lust of the eyes is generosity. And the antidote to the pride of life is humility. But what we're, and those are all true, but what we're looking at today is the even more core antidote, and it's what Jesus is articulating, a singular focus. In verse five, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So look at that verse carefully. And this is how you should, you should, you should study scripture, sit with it, meditate on it, look at it, think about it, write down reflections. If you look at this, you realize who is the branch in this story? You are and I am. So you can, for yourself, say, I am the branch, Jesus is the vine. So if I, the branch, remain in Jesus, the vine, I will bear much fruit. And apart from Jesus, the vine, I can actually do nothing. 
Now, I know lots of people, including myself sometimes, that think we've done lots of stuff without Jesus. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because I don't wanna embarrass you, but in reality, we can't even breathe without Jesus. We would not exist without Jesus. Our heart would not be beating without Jesus. Our body would not heal itself without Jesus. We are living miracles every day. You know what I'm talking about? And the idea of being a self-made man or woman is such an absurdity. Imagine the arrogance of being a, a work of art that's created by a master creator. And the work of art wants to spit on its creator and say, look how amazing I made myself. Everything we have is from the Lord. Our ability to think, to reason, to generate wealth, to create, it is all from the Lord. We can do nothing apart from it. I think that what we're living in here in this, this tension between the full heaven and hell and before we're on the other side of eternity is this sense that God is allowing us to live in a measure of his miracles. We're in this earth, we're in this creation, we're in these bodies, but he's also wanting to teach us that we need him as a savior and we're invited to him, we're invited to lean on him for everything in our lives, not just the things that he's already giving us that we've learned to take for granted. And it's, it's very simple when we look at it this way, but number three, the primary responsibility of the branch is to remain in the vine. Another way to say that is your job description as a branch is to remain in the vine. It is your highest calling. It is your singular, most important responsibility. I met with someone this week who has a passionate new life in the Lord. And, and there was this beautiful sense about how everything else fades away. And there's one goal. It's knowing and following Jesus. And this is the divine order. It is connecting with the vine. Early this morning, James and I were on our way in uh, to the church. James, our, who was leading worship today, and, and we were talking about our lives, and, and he's 30-ish, and he was thinking about what's his life gonna be when he's 40 or 50. I'm 40, and I was thinking, what's gonna take me to where I need to be when I'm 50 and 60? And there's lots of things we can do to aim ourselves and make decisions, but there is only one primary responsibility that we have, and that is to stay connected to the vine. When we do that, we will get to where we need to go. We will be what we are meant to be, period. But as branches, we often make secondary things primary. And the secondary things are important, don't get me wrong. So just to illustrate for myself, I'm married. We're pushing, we'll be married 16 years this month. And my wife is amazing. Thankfully, I married a very steady, gracious, merciful woman, or I wouldn't be married anymore. Anybody can testify? She's amazing. Um, one of my most important things in my life is to love her the way that Jesus loves the church, as the scripture says. And that means lay down my life for her, treat her with the fruit of the spirit. That means love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Any of you husbands do that perfectly even just today so far? No, don't raise your hand. If I made my primary goal loving my wife the way that God has called me to, I will fare, fail miserably. My only hope of doing that is fulfilling my job description as a branch and remaining in the vine. There is no other way to do it. For me to even love my wife like that for five minutes takes a miracle in my heart. The only way that miracle happens is by being connected to Jesus. So we make secondary things primary. I could make my primary goal for the next 10 years to love my wife better than any man has ever loved his wife and I would fail. It would be a mess, but if I make my goal remaining in the vine, I will be able to love my wife in the way God has called me to. 
and I'll fail, but there will be mercy and grace. And, and she vice versa in the way she loves me. So I wanna invite you into this exercise because a lot of times we think in our life, if I had this or I just need this, then my life would be in order. So what is this for you? If I could just accomplish this, if this would happen, what is that blank? And I just wanna encourage you to take out whatever you're putting in there. And I'm not saying it's not important, but put in there your primary job description of remaining in the vine. That is the only thing you need. All of life, everything else flows from that. And then Jesus teaches over and over in this passage that if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So number four, the result of remaining is bearing much fruit. The definition of fruit is the inward reality and the outward overflow of your life. So fruitfulness in the terms of scripture and the kingdom of God doesn't always look like the greatest success in the world. We have a different standard of success than the world does. The world is all about those three temptations, what I feel, what I have, and what I am, right? How much pleasure can I, live, can I take for myself? How much can I gain for myself? And how much love and respect and admiration, admiration do I have for myself? You might not fit all those categories, but if you have the inward reality of peace, and the outward overflow of peace, that is a fruit of remaining in the vine. And it's a more valuable one. If you have the inward reality of joy and the outflow of joy, the inward reality of patience and the outflow of patience, the inward reality of gentleness and the outward flow of gentleness, that is divine fruit that can only come from remaining in the vine. And then Jesus goes on to say, and explain in this text, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So get this, bear with me, number five, this is scripture, not me. The result of being fruitful is being pruned to be even more fruitful. Thank you, Lord. My kids have this thing right now where when we tell them to do something or that we're about to do something fun as a family, they'll kind of stop and they'll say, wait, actually? Like if we say, we're gonna go to this big you know, sports thing and have a great time and get hot dogs, we'll be like, wait, actually, that's amazing. Or if we're like, it's your day to clean the room, you can't do anything else until your room is clean, they'll be like, wait, actually? Well, I think this is like a giant wait actually from the Lord. It's like, okay, God, so when you're blessing my life and my life is fruitful because I have remained in you, you're going to cut me more so that I can be more fruitful. Wait, actually, God? But it's helpful to realize this because it means that everything that feels like it might be cutting in our life or pruning painful things or, or removals, number six, pruning is not punishment, it is preparation. We can't mistake it for punishment. We have to understand it's to get us to become even more fruitful. So an action step there is to learn to delight in the pruning of the gardener. Learn to delight in it. He's the master gardener. You're not, I'm not. So at the end of the day, when we're being pruned, the question becomes, do we trust the gardener? Jesus says the father is the gardener. It's so fascinating because it means that if we want the fruitfulness 
that God has for us, that he created us for. I bet, I bet every hand would go up if we said, man, if we, we wanna fulfill everything that God has created us for. We want to flourish, we want the overflow of our life to be all of this blessing. We would raise our hand, but the only way to get there is pruning. That's what this text teaches. And then practically, this is how we're gonna close today. What does remaining or abiding, a lot of versions use the word abiding. We're talking about the same thing. What does remaining look like? And Jesus tells us three specific things about how to remain practically. Verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this first piece is part of remaining in the vine is letting the words of Jesus remain in us. And then he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You have to look at that ask whatever you wish in the context of his words remaining in you. But there is this wonderful invitation that we see throughout scripture that we can't fully understand, but is there and is true. So you should let your faith rise to this. If his words are remaining in us and we're abiding in him, like the text is talking about, we should ask him for what we wish. We should ask him for what we need. We should expect to walk in the favor and in the blessing of God. We should not have a mentality of like this scarcity, like there's just, there's not enough. I'm, I'm gonna have to skimp by. I, there's not enough blessing. God can't, he can't be concerned with me. He's concerned with that. It's just not true. He cares about you. You're his beloved. So in the same way we love and care about our kids and we want them to ask us, you should ask him. You should talk to him. You should pour out your heart. That's what this text is saying. So part of remaining is keeping his word in us. The question is, how much of his word is really in us? Is there more of the words of Jesus in this mind or more of the words of Nathan in this mind? Or more of the words of the world in this mind? Or more of the words that I think other people think about me in this mind? If I'm really honest, there's a lot that crowds out the words of Jesus. Anybody with me? I mean, it just gets pushed to the back all the time. So you've got to build that muscle called your brain. This is what scripture calls the renewing of your mind. You've got to build into it the word of God. You need to memorize this word if you can. Meditate on this word. Write this word out on cards and put it in your pocket and think about it throughout the day and write it in your home. Sometimes we do this when we're new in the Lord, but then we stop doing it and we just kind of let go of our connection to the vine. You need to fill yourself with the words of Jesus. And then in verse nine, Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. So remain in my love. So the first point of Jesus' three-point sermon here of how to remain is keep the words of Jesus in you. The second point is remain in the love of Jesus. I've quoted Rick Warren a lot today. I'm gonna do it one more time. I have people tell me all the time, my problem is I just don't love Jesus enough. But that is not actually the issue. Your problem is that you don't realize how much he loves you. Because if you really understood and you felt how much he really loves you, you can't help but love him. Your number one job in life is to let God love you. And then Brandon Manning affirms this. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. And there has to be a period after that. We cannot remain in the vine if we are not accepting what he says about us and that is he loves you. Deeply loves and cares about every detail in your life. And then Jesus articulates it even more into this third point. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy 
may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So he says, keep my words in you, remain in my love, and then offer that same love to others. So number seven, to remain in the vine is to keep Jesus's words in you, remain in his love, and then love others the way he has loved you. It's important when we talk about the way Jesus calls us to love people that we add the way he has loved you to it. It's not, it's not like a, an easy, lighthearted, anything goes cheap love. It's a costly love that requires forgiveness and mercy and grace. Because how has Jesus loved you? He has loved you to the point of laying his life down for you. He has loved you to the point of forgiveness, mercy, when, when you've spat in his face, when you've done everything to run from him. We've all done that. And he says that part of remaining in the vine is to love others the way he loved us. And you guys know this. You may not articulate it like this, but when you start harboring unforgiveness, when you start not loving others well, when you start building up things in your mind against others, you feel yourself begin to disconnect from the vine. You are cutting your branch off by doing that. That's why Jesus says, you must forgive to be forgiven. That's why the Lord's prayer says, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. They're always together. And forgiveness doesn't mean you gotta be best friends and hang out all the time, but it means your heart is free. It means you love. It means you pray God's blessing. So these are the three practical things we're gonna sit with to close as the worship team comes up and as we partake in communion. Everyone is invited to take communion here today. Just know that if you take it, you're saying, I fully want to be a branch that is in the vine, the true vine. I wanna be a follower of Jesus. If you need a communion packet, raise up your hand and our team will bring it to you right now. Just hold up your hand for a second. Hold it high enough so Stephen can see. And go ahead and take your packet, everyone, and open the side that has the bread in it. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. Go ahead and take the bread in your hand. And if you could, just close your eyes with me, church. If you still need a packet, hold your hand back up. They'll get it to you. But everyone else, go ahead and grab that bread. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord. He's here. The one who speaks these words to us in John 15 is here speaking them to us now. Jesus is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, in us, through us, speaking. And before we partake, I just want to ask you these questions. Are you remaining in the true vine? What false vines do you need to flee from? Are the words of Jesus remaining in you? Are you remaining in the love of Jesus? And are you loving others the way you have been loved by Jesus? Lord, we ask ourselves these questions as we hold the bread in our hand that represents your body that was broken for us. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you that you were broken so that we can be whole. Thank you that you became you took death upon yourself. You took shame. You took guilt. 
You took the weight so that we could be free, so that we could be alive. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four that Jesus gave thanks, broke the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together, church. so overwhelming that the blood of Jesus was shed for us to make us clean. What an incredible, powerful truth. This is the rock upon which we stand. And let's just pray this. Lord, forgive us for sometimes running to false vines. Forgive us for running towards unhealthy pleasure. Forgive us for running towards possessions. Forgive us for running towards status and position. God, we want to flee from false vines and we want to cling solely to you, the true vine. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lead us in your way, everlasting, we pray. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. We stand all around the sanctuary. We're going to sing this song. We're not in a rush. We're just going to take a couple more minutes. Just press into the very presence of God, church. We're going to celebrate as a family this firm foundation, this true vine. And let's just cling to him as we sing. And then I'll come and close us in prayer. Before we close, I would just invite you, anybody who with me would like to just make it a declaration say, my goodness, I want this next season of my life to be marked by connection to the vine, by remaining in the vine. I want that to be my primary, singular focus and strategy. If that's you, just raise your hand with me up. I want to pray for you. You don't have to look around. This is certainly our heart as a church, as a church family. Our primary strategy is to remain in the vine. And here's the thing, let's connect it with the truth of what we're singing. When we remain in the vine, we can trust him that he will not fail with our life. He will not fail. He's better at determining your steps than you are. He's better at causing fruit that will last to come from your life than you are. So if we wanna declare it together, just raise your hand, God, I pray your blessing on each person that they would be singularly focused on keeping the words of Jesus in them, remaining in your love, and loving others the way you, Jesus, have loved them. That is their simple job description as a branch. Remain in the true vine. And I pray that the fruitfulness of their life, whatever it is, they will trust you with it because you will not fail. You hold their life in your hands. And we declare our trust for you, our faith in you. We have peace in you. We have joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Life gets real simple, doesn't it? We have one thing to do. And I'm going to pray for you this week practically that you can lean into this in increasing ways. I want to remind you before I pray the benediction, um, bring some people with you next week. It's going to be a beautiful Mother's Day. Pray for them. Invite them. Come early, help us show good hospitality. Some of you come to our first service because second service will probably be really packed. 
Um, I'm going to pray this benediction over you, and then we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much.